The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you join me this morning? Hebrews chapter 3. This morning we finish out Hebrews chapter 3 and begin our time together in the first two verses of chapter 4. We'll begin reading chapter 3 verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today... You hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by, led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This morning we'll spend our time together, majority of our time together, in chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. We... We will look at the end of chapter 3. We've not covered these verses yet, and they will serve for us this morning really an introduction to the, the main part of our time together in His Word, which will be verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. The reason why they serve us in, in our sermon this morning as the introduction to verses 1 and 2 is because in the text, they serve as the introduction to verses 1 and 2. And the way we know that is because of the first word of the first verse of chapter 4, which is the word therefore. So it's, it's taken what was written before it and it's making a, a connection to what is being said now, so the end of the third chapter serves as the introduction to the beginning of the fourth chapter. Remember, these, these numbers that we have that help us navigate our way through the Bible, they, they, they were not there. This is just a letter written. We, we put them there for our ability to navigate. So we think, well, it's a new chapter, it's a new break. It isn't. It's a, a continuous flow of, of thought. We've been in chapter 3 now for um, a great number of weeks. We began um, four or five weeks ago with, with Jacob preaching the beginning of chapter 3 that 
Jesus is the better Moses. And then we begin to, to work through what, what essentially is a, a three-part sermon, but preached in three sermons, um, which is the example that is given, the exhortation that is given, and the ex- explanation that is given. The ex- example of those who fall away, don't fall away, that's the, that's the imperative. The example given of those who fall away were the, the Israelites in the wilderness. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to us saying, don't be like them. Don't, don't fall away as they fell away and as they failed to enter into the promised land. Don't be like them. It's the example given. Then there was this exhortation given which is that we must take care to see that we do not fall away as they fell away. And the way that we take care is that we take care together. That we come alongside of one another as the body of Christ, encouraging one another to keep watch over ourselves and one another so that we don't fall away. And then last week was this brief explanation in Verse 14, because it, this, this language of falling away probably has you wondering then, does that mean we can lose our salvation? And the answer from verse 14's explanation is no, you cannot lose it. But you can seem to have it, but have never really had it. And that there is a big difference between a profession, and partaking. There's a big difference in professing Christ and partaking of Christ. The way we say it is those who are really, genuinely, truly saved will persevere to the end. And it is our perseverance that is the evidence of our genuine salvation. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do we know we have a share in Christ? We know we have a share in Christ by holding our firm confidence to the end. That's how we know. And so then the writer of Hebrews in the end of the chapter sort of begins to to wrap up and summarize what's come before by these, these series of rhetorical questions. Verse 15, again, he is quoting from the Psalms, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This call we see over and over again in the letter of Hebrews is that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to take care. Today is the day to not harden your heart. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then these questions for Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Again, this is the Israelites in the wilderness. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those same ones who sinned? Was it not those who sinned in unbelief and because of their unbelief, their bodies fell in the wilderness, meaning they did not enter into the promised land. They died there in their rebellion. 
And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. You can't read those verses. You can't look back on history. You can't study the the Exodus and all that had taken place in those 40 years and not come to the realization that there is a great danger. That there is a danger of falling short. And the sobering reality is that that danger is true even if you are in a fortunate position. Even if you are under the Word of God, with the people of God, there still remains the danger that you fall short of the promise. These, these, these Israelites in the wilderness, I mean, think of all that they had seen. Think of all that they had heard. Think of all that God had done for them. They had Moses leading them. God and the pillar of fire and cloud, smoke filling a temple, smoke filling a mountain, an earth quaking, God speaking. What a fortunate, what a privileged position to be the people that God had chosen to take out of Egypt for himself and for his own glory. Yet even in that privileged position, they fell short. Why did they fall short? Verse 19. So we see they were unable to enter this rest of the promised land because of unbelief. What is it that kept them out? It was their unbelief. It was their lack of faith. It was their their hardened hearts. Their hardened hearts. They did not believe. They did not trust God. They did not have faith in God. They rebelled and they questioned and they pushed back and they wanted to turn back and they didn't trust in the promises of God. And because of their lack of faith, they fell dead in the wilderness. In our language of last week, they professed. You see it as you read Exodus, Numbers. They professed. But the reality of their hearts was they never partook. And they fell short. So what is our takeaway? Well, our takeaway comes in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. And there's three things I'd like for you to see this morning from these two verses. And they are fear, failure, and faith. Fear, failure, and faith. The first of these is fear. And this is the main imperative of the text. Do you know what I mean when I say imperative? An imperative is a command. It is what we are to do. It is God telling us, giving us a command of what to do. That is an imperative. And this is, fear is the main imperative of the text. Look at it in verse 1. Therefore, because the Israelites fell short in their unbelief, because of their unbelief, they never entered into God's rest. 
Therefore, while the promise of his of entering his rest still remains, let us fear. That's the imperative. Let us fear. Because we can look back and see for us a real life example of a lack of faith, of unbelief. Because we can see how God had proven himself faithful over and over and over and over again to work out his purposes for his good pleasure, for his glory, for their good. And yet over and over and over again, they doubted. Over and over and over again, they rebelled. Over and over and over again, they questioned. Over and over and over again, they tested. And eventually, because of their unbelief, they fell short. Because that is the reality, we must fear. And we must fear that we would end up the same way as they. Perishing in unbelief, not entering into the promised rest of God. We must fear. Now, maybe for some of us, we we hear that and we think, that just doesn't sound quite right. Because doesn't the, the Scriptures teach us to not be afraid? I mean, don't we have the verses that say, do not fear, you are more than conquerors. Do not fear tomorrow. So how do we have places in the Scriptures that tell us, do not fear, and then here the writer of Hebrews is saying, oh no, you better be afraid. Well, how do these truths meet together? Well, I think that we probably need a pretty good theology of fear. We need a good theology of fear. And in theological terms, it's scriptural, fear can be broken down into two main categories. There is a godly fear, and there is an ungodly fear. That's just the way that the scriptures talk about fear. There is an, a holy fear, and there is an unholy fear. And when the Scriptures tell us, do not be afraid, what the Scriptures are are telling us is, do not live in ungodly fear. Do not live in the kind of fear that is ungodly. So what is the kind of fear that is ungodly? Well, you use these verses that tell us, don't be afraid, right? So the Scripture says, don't be anxious. Don't be afraid of tomorrow. Don't be afraid of what tomorrow may bring. For your God who is in heaven knows what you need and He provides your every need. So look to the birds of the air. How they neither sow nor toil, yet they have everything they need provided for them. And look at the flowers of the field and how they just grow. They're not working. They're not preparing for anything. They're not worried about anything. They, they come up and they're beautiful one day and they're thrown into the fire the next. God knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and He is faithful to provide you of those things. Therefore, don't fear. Don't be anxious because a fear that goes against faith in God is ungodly. 
And so when we're worried about provisions, it's a fear that goes against faith. And that's ungodly. There are other examples of ungodly fear. It's, it is a, a fear of man. A fear of man. Bible says, don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Why? Don't have a fear of man. Why? Because that goes against faith in God. God is for us. God will fight our battles. Don't fear man. Don't fear your enemies if God is for you. Because if you live and exercise in that kind of fear, it goes against faith in God. Any kind of fear that goes against our faith in God is ungodly, and it should be rejected. That's an ungodly, an unholy kind of fear. But there is a godly fear. The Scriptures are clear that we should be a people characterized by godly fear. That we should have a holy, reverent fear of God. Not of man. Who is man? Not of man, but of God. Deuteronomy 13.4 You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. You should fear the Lord. And because of fear of the Lord, keep His commandments, obey His, ver- His voice. Isaiah 8.13 But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. I mean, this is like, if you know, you're, you're looking for wisdom. You want wisdom. You want understanding. You want knowledge. And you're seeking after it. You're you're going after it. Then, verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That the fear of the Lord brings a knowledge of God. What does it mean to fear the Lord? If we're to have a fear of the Lord, if if one of the marks of a godly fear is a holy, reverent fear of the Lord, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means, for one thing, to hate evil. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. To fear the Lord means to hate evil. To have a holy fear of God is to have a fountain of life. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Church, this kind of fear, this holy, reverent fear is necessary for true worship. Psalm 5, verse 7, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Psalm 89, verses 6 and 7, For for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? 
Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones or in the holy gatherings. And awesome above all who are around him. If you want to live a godly, God-honoring life, then you must live marked by a godly fear. Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect or fear. Psalm 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, or I'm sorry, Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Romans 11, 20 and 21, that is true. This That is true is talking about Israel falling short, being broken off, of the vine being branches that were broken off and the Gentiles being grafted in. That's the context. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. That's what we're talking about here in Hebrews. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. That's the message of the writer of Hebrews. Who was it that fell? Who was it that rebelled? Who was it that died? It was Israel because of their unbelief. And so be afraid because if he would do that to them because of their unbelief, he will do it to you because of your unbelief. This kind of fear is a sober, somber understanding of God that leads us to take seriously his commands on our lives because of the because of the danger that awaits those who do not fear him here's the distinction in Christ we are fearless Of Christ, we have reverent fear. We don't have an ungodly fear of man, but a godly fear of God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Jesus said. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is the text this morning. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still remains, let us fear. If the Israelites failed to make it, then we stand the chance of failing to make it, and we should fear this kind of failure. Right? So what are we to fear? Therefore, 
while the promise of entering his rest still remains, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. We should be afraid of not entering the promised rest. We should be afraid of not receiving the promises of God, of falling short because of our unbelief. That is what kept them out. We are to fear unbelief. So much so that we are making every effort to encourage one another to keep the faith because we're afraid we don't want to end like they ended. Help me, Lord. And help me, brothers. Because I know my heart is desperately wicked. I don't want to end up like them. Like how John Piper says it. He says that the one thing to fear is not believing the promises that make you fearless. Now, how long should we have this kind of fear? Is this just something that, that characterizes you know, new believers? Is this just the characteristics of, of those who are, who are new in their faith? Because you know, eventually you, you move on to deeper theological truths that, that, that bolster your confidence in yourself. And so is this just for new believers? Like how long should we have this fear? Well, the, the text tells us, therefore, and then here's the time frame, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should have seen but failed to reach it. Now, we will spend our time together next week working this, the reality that the promise of entering his rest still remains. That's next week. A better rest remains. Okay? We're not working that out. And that is, that is, is not really even the point of the phrase in verse 1. The point of the phrase in verse 1 is a, a length of, of time. How long should you fear as long as the promise of entering his rest still remains. That's how long you should fear. You should fear as long as his promised rest is yet to be fulfilled. How long is that? Well, there's two options. One is your death. And the other is the return of Christ. As long as you haven't died or Christ hasn't returned, you are to live with a holy fear of unbelief because the promise of His rest still remains, which means there remains a possibility of ending up like the Hebrews in the wilderness, you should be afraid that you will be guilty of unbelief and fail to enter it. Fear the failure 
to reach it. They did not reach it, so you might not reach it. And understanding this is vital. Vital. Because we both are in the same position. And here's what I mean by we both, and this will be next week. We both, the Israelites in Moses' day, David in the Psalms, the writer of Hebrews in the first century, and us now, all are included in the same position. Moses said it. David said it. Today, if you hear his voice, the writer of Hebrews says it. Today, if you hear his voice, and it's for us today, if you hear his voice, we're all in the same position. And what is the same position? It is the position of hearing his voice. It's of hearing the gospel. We are in danger because we're in the same position they were in, in the position of hearing the good news of the gospel, of hearing his voice. Be afraid that you hear it, but you never believe it because we're in the same position. But this is verse 2. Four, what's the start of verse 2? That, that, that means that this is, the, this is the reason given to fear. Therefore, be afraid. Because they fell in their unbelief, therefore, be afraid. Why? Because, for good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Here's what this means. That those in the wilderness of the Exodus heard the gospel just as we have. And in their hearing, they fell. Now this has radical implications. Did you know that the gospel is not just a New Testament concept. Now, some of us hear that and we hear, well, they heard the good news and we think, wait a minute, I thought the Old Testament was just bad news. Just a bunch of rules, just a bunch of regulations, just a bunch of law, just a God killing a bunch of people, God killing the whole earth except for one family. I mean, I thought that... The Old Testament was just bad news. The answer to that question is, no. The Old Testament is full of good news. And the gospel is present in the Old Testament just as it's present in the New Testament. They heard, the Israelites heard the good news. That's the gospel. They heard it. Because God has woven the gospel into creation from the fall. And He has spoken the gospel since the fall. We see the first 
mention of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, at the fall, we see the first mention of the gospel. It's called the proto-euangelion, the first good news. It comes in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his feet. This is the first mention of a promised offspring that would come to destroy the serpent. The Old Testament isn't just law. What do you mean? It's not just law. No, it's not just law. But the law was given to reveal the good news of the gospel. It's the point of the law. Listen, listen to Exodus chapter 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him, this is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is the good news of the gospel. Before the law is even given, God is saying, I am gracious and merciful. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast love. And I am willing to forgive. And then he just layers on. I mean, just any possible way you want to describe it, I am willing to forgive. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Church, God's forgiveness is at the center of the law. At the center of the law was the good news that God forgives those who fall short of the law. What did the people of God in the Exodus hear? What was the good news that they heard? The good news that they heard was the news of Deliverance and inheritance. That's what they heard, right? I, God, will deliver you from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And I, God, will be faithful to take you to a promised land that is the inheritance promised to Abraham. That's what they heard. Deliverance... (laughs) And inheritance. Now let me ask you a question. What is before Galatians chapter 3? And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. They heard the gospel. It was the gospel that came to Abraham. It's the gospel that's coming to Moses. It was the gospel that was proclaimed. to the the Israelites in the wilderness. It was the gospel that came through David. It is the gospel. It is the good news that God forgives sin and sinners. 
It's the news of deliverance and inheritance. This is the good news that we hear today. The good news of deliverance from the bondage of sin and an everlasting inheritance in the rest of God through God's forgiveness. Now you might think, yeah, but you know, those guys in the wilderness that all died, it was worse for them than it is for us. Like the judgment was worse on them because, I mean, if I had seen the things that they saw and I had heard the things that they heard, I mean, we read it sometimes and we think, you people are a bunch of idiots. What's wrong with you people? Why are we general in, inner R.C. Sproul? What's wrong with you people? I mean, you, you witnessed all of this. You experienced all of this. You didn't believe. We might think it was worse for them because they witnessed that, all these things. And if I'd have seen that, I'd have believed. But let me in, uh, let you in on a little secret. Church, it's far worse for us. It's far worse for us. Because what they saw was type and shadow. What they saw was images, types and shadows of Jesus Christ, types and shadows of the way God would forgive sins, types and shadows of what God was doing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we see is the substance. What we see is Jesus. We see now clearly what God has been doing in the gospel through Jesus Christ. It's far worse for us. So we should fear failing to reach the promises because of unbelief. Because we're in the same privileged position they were in to hear the gospel, to hear the good news. And they failed. And so you should fear that kind of failure. So have fear, the writer says, and add to that fear faith. Verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. What is the key that unlocks all the promises of God? The key is faith. It's faith. It's an unshakable trust in a faithful God. It's to believe when we don't see. It's to trust when we don't understand. It's a sure confidence in who God is and what He's doing for His glory, for our good. It is hearing the gospel and not just professing Christ, but partaking of Him. They heard it, the writer says. They heard it, but it was of no benefit to them. Why was it of no benefit to them? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, there's two possibilities for understanding that verse and what it means. And supposedly, it all comes down to one Greek letter. Two possible readings. Here's the first. And I, what I'm saying is, 
because they were not united by faith with those who listened. There's two possible readings. The first is that they did not unite what they heard with faith. Does that make sense? They heard it, but it was not united with faith. That's one reading. The other reading is that they were not united with those who had faith. So they fell and died because they were not united with those who had faith. Now, just work that out in the story, okay? Who were the ones who had faith? Joshua and Caleb. They went in, they spied it out, they came back, and they said, they might be tall. God's taller. But they, because of their unbelief, were not united with Joshua and Caleb. How so? They died in the wilderness. They did not enter into the promised land. There's two possible readings. One, they heard, but it was not united with their faith. Or two, they heard, but they were not united with those who had faith. Which one is it? It doesn't matter. They mean the exact same thing. Had they had faith, had they had united what they heard with faith, they would have been united with those who had faith. But they didn't have faith. And they fell away. Because faith is the key that unlocks the door of God's promises. It is only faith that makes the promises of God our possessions. Faith. Faith alone. Church, there's been many a faithful man who had died. Died over that truth. That salvation's by grace alone through faith alone. And we have to be a people who are willing to die on that hill. And you might think, yeah, isn't that just sort of basic understanding? Like, of course, faith, we believe that. We're Protestant. Listen, there are Protestants who no longer believe it. Who add to faith works. Who believe in some sort of vicarious faith. Passed along. It is Faith, your faith, taking by the grace of God, the power of God, and the working of the Spirit, taking, hearing the gospel, and uniting it with faith so that we can be united with those who have faith in God's everlasting promises. You must believe. Not your mother, not your father, not your grandmother. You must believe. You have to have faith. You have to come to Christ to hear the good news of the gospel that God is faithful to forgive sinners of which you are one. And that the only way for your sin to be forgiven is in 
Christ Jesus' sacrifice and the way that His sacrifice is given to you, is granted to you, how the benefits He received, we receive by faith. That's the only way to get them. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. And if you don't, you will fail to enter His rest. And if we claim it, we must always fear that we might lose it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, what sobering reality there is when we look at the example laid before us of people who had seen your mighty hand at work before their very eyes, yet they fell in unbelief. They had heard and they had seen the good news, yet they fell in unbelief. God, may we, with a holy, godly, reverent fear, unbelief, As long as the promise remains, as long as it's yet fulfilled. May we hear and every day unite that hearing with faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.